This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. The old axiom goes, never discuss politics or religion in polite company. And of course, the the reason for this is to avoid conflict. Of course, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that I am awful at avoiding these topics. Um, that That's primarily because these are important topics, because both politics and religion attempt to answer the fundamental question, how do we best order our society and live together in community in a way that promotes... Uh, that promotes holiness and justice and uh, and the best living conditions for everyone. That That's the fundamental question. And then we approach it from politics and religion from different angles. But really, they're answering that same question. Um, so I, I don't like to talk about politics. I do love to talk about religion. However, as we're going to talk about it today, that quote, that axiom can better be summed up by a quote from Mark Twain as uh, part of his uh, autobiographical dictation as he was preparing for his autobiography. Uh, we, We hear him say this, I am quite sure now that often, very often, in matters concerning religion and politics, a man's reasoning powers are not above the monkey's. And, and what is Mark Twain saying there other than uh, we tend to get a little bit primal and a little bit um, reactive when we talk about those topics. We don't actually engage in conversation and listening uh, except for trying to find out what the next best response is to the other person, right? Uh, and, and so whether it be the topic of religion or politics, we tend to come into those conversations loaded for bear. And so that's what we're talking about today specifically is the question of evangelization. Wait, wait how, did you, how did you get there? Well, let me tell you. Um, very often we tend to treat our conversations about the faith uh, in the same way that we treat these other really prickly conversations. And that is, we know what we think, we know what we believe, and we come in with all of our sources, and we're just ready to plow through the discussion and drive it where we want it to go. And this, I think, is not uh, conducive for having a uh, a, a positive discussion because whatever uh, whatever place you are on the spectrum, if we're coming to have a conversation about faith, um, we are coming to be sharpened, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Uh, we come into this conversation to have those rough edges knocked off. And we may think that we are the piece of iron that's doing the sharpening of the other, but let me tell you, those roles can sometimes get confused. Uh, we aren't simply coming in to teach at any given moment or to set someone straight at any given moment. We're coming in to have a conversation. And there's a little bit of vulnerability in a conversation because you never know where it's going to go. 
you never know what tangent that conversation is going to take. And so very often we think, hey, I just need to be prepared. I need to keep this on uh, on the uh, a specific direction. And, uh, and I'm just going to keep bringing it back around to that thing. Um, well, that's not a very natural conversation. Uh, our, our interactions with one another, it's not a classroom setting. It's not a, a curriculum that we need to get through. It's a life to be lived. And there is so much uh, available to us. If I could use a metaphor, I don't typically go in this direction, but I'm going to uh, draw out a metaphor from, um, from the world of video games. Uh, everyone probably has at least seen Super Mario Brothers, the the one with the the pixelated plumber and the um, the the uh, what's the word the malignant mushrooms coming to chase him down. Right, uh, there is a path that that character has to follow, and he follows it correctly, or he plunges to his doom. Right, that's that's the thing. There is a progression. You can take some shortcuts in a couple of places, but for the most part, you are going to be going right. And you just keep going right and, and, and bouncing and jumping and doing whatever else you need to do, breaking bricks. But everything is to the right. There's a progression that happens. Well, something that's happening now in the world of video games is this open world concept where they create a, uh, a map and you can go anywhere on that map. And some of these maps are quite large and so you can go left or right or up the mountain or down in a valley or in a cave that you didn't know existed. And there are things to discover everywhere you go. And this is what our conversations should be like, that we should explore without knowing which direction we're going to go next, that we should come into it, not with the progression lined out all ready to go for us, but to go and explore a world that is just laid out before us. Because when we go into it that way, it's amazing what things we can discover. Uh, when we come into a conversation not knowing precisely where it's going to end, we have the potential for the Holy Spirit not only to answer the deepest need and the question of the person we're talking to, but also for the Holy Spirit to come in and give us revelation and knowledge that we did not have on the front end of it, to come into a conversation open to where things are going to go. Now, this doesn't mean that um, that we go into a conversation with the possibility of changing our mind on some uh, on some tenet of the faith, right? Going in and letting the conversation go where it will doesn't mean that at the end, oh man, I'm going to be convinced that that the uh, some dogma of the faith is not true. No, but perhaps we go into that conversation not so quick to uh, redirect that we don't let a person express the depth of their heart. That we truly we're going to find the better um, the better answer provided by the Holy Spirit as we let that conversation go places we weren't going, wouldn't expect it would have gone otherwise. You'll notice that when Jesus interacts with a person, uh, they'll, they'll ask him a question and he always responds first with another question. He's not coming to just give answers and, and check off the list. He's wanting to walk a person through to a, a deeper understanding. 
And so often we're just ready for the conversation to be done that we miss out on the opportunities and the possibilities that lay before us if we'll listen to the Holy Spirit and follow down that path of conversation wherever it might go. As we talk about uh, evangelization in this show, one of the things that that comes to my mind is uh, a technique that I first learned through a program called Alpha. Now, there's plenty of things in Alpha that are that that give me a little bit of pause, but for the most part, the techniques of Alpha are really quite uh, amazing. And one of them is this. Uh, as a leader in the program, you are instructed that, that you're going to interact with people who believe things that are not only wrong, but are a little bit out there. And, um, and so there is a response that you give to that person. They say something that maybe denies a tenet of the faith. You know, well, I really think that, that this happened. I really think that the disciples just faked Jesus' death and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that that's just beyond the pale of imagination uh, imagination and the response to that the official response is well that's that's a really interesting idea what does everybody else think <laughs> not to get into a well let let me tell you what the church says let me tell you what the bible let me tell you why the bible's right it's to uh to engage with the question and say i'm i'm glad you brought that up and then to invite conversation right to in in some ways to invite the conflict not in a not in an antagonistic way but in a way that shows that all ideas are going to be listened to and the purpose for this is to build the relationship to earn the right to speak the truth right um, we earn the right to speak when we first listen and let me tell you as an extrovert who likes to talk and who likes the faith and who has very definite opinions, um, which I most certainly do. It's a hard thing to say, you know what, I am going to exercise my will here and and I'm going to purposefully not correct that. I'm going to purposefully not say anything other than to explore that idea further or to let other people speak into it and to get other opinions and get other perspectives. And I'm going to listen um, much more than I speak. That's hard for me to do, but the fruit of that is something truly profound. And over the last couple of years, I've taken that tactic in my discussions on social media. And I've noticed a couple of things as I have interacted with people. One is that my anxiety level has gone way, way down because there was this thing of, well, I have to answer and I have to answer quickly before someone else jumps in because I have the right answer to this. Well, that put a lot of the pressure on me and didn't acknowledge the role of the Holy Spirit in these conversations. If if it's dependent on me, then I have to get everyone to the place on the map that I want us to be at in the discussion. But if it's the Holy Spirit, then I have to be attentive to where he wants the conversation to go on a, on a given day. Well, on this given day, our conversation is going to be around the topic of evangelization. We're talking today with Jennifer Fitz, who's a Catholic author. You can find more of her work over at jenniferfitz.com. And she's got this fantastic book called The How-To Book of Evangelization, Everything You Need to Know But No One Ever Taught You. Uh, 
it's available on OSV Press right now. You can go get it at osv.com. Uh, Jennifer, great to have you on the show again. Thank you for having me. So we have interacted some on uh, on Facebook. There's this giant group uh, forum uh, for the uh, the people who have read and appropriated uh, the Forming Intentional Disciples book by Sherry Waddell. And the big question there is, yes, how do we become disciples? But even more so, uh, the disciple is a missionary disciple. So how do we as disciples uh, engage others with our faith through evangelization without you know, coming across as the stereotypical uh, street preacher or, or you know, megaphone Bible thumper, fill fill in your mm-hmm. your derogatory thought right there. Uh, how do we engage people with the faith without coming across as just a little bit crazy? Uh, and that creates a, a right. lot of anxiety for people. And so, uh, first of all, there, there's really no big question about why did you choose to write this book? But nonetheless, why did you choose to write this book? Well, you know, it it really was inspired by the conversations on that forum, which I think you have seen. Uh, I've been an active participant for quite a while. I'm a big fan of Sherry's books, very life-changing for me and my life uh, as a disciple as in, in ministry. And uh, when people get ready to evangelize, uh, whether it's they've read her book or they have attended a called and gifted workshop or they have gotten the idea from somewhere. They're like, we are ready to go. They come to the forum and they say, okay, now what? We want to start. What do we do? Is there a program we do? Is there a workshop we attend? How do I do this? And, and many Catholics are really starting from zero. They don't have experience being evangelized. They don't have any mentors and they don't really know what evangelization looks like. They may have, like you say, some ideas of things that it shouldn't be, that they know intuitively this is not where I want to go, but they don't know how to do it. And so the book is a very uh, big picture overview of, you know, everything from start to finish. what do we do? What is evangelization? What do I need to do in order to get started? How do the different ministries I already have going on in my parish uh, fit into that? We um, we took a very parish-based look at evangelization, since that's where most Catholics live out their faith. Um, not, not in the sense of this needs to be something you only do as a parish ministry. There's a lot about your individual initiatives in the workplace or uh, other opportunities um, beyond the walls of the parish. But but as, as an average Catholic in an ordinary parish, I want to get started. I don't know what to do. Or alternately, um, I have a pretty good idea of where we need to go. Maybe you're the pastor or another staff member or just a, somebody who's on fire. Uh, and you don't know how to communicate that and say, okay, here's our... St. Vincent de Paul group, and we're awesome, but uh, we we aren't quite evangelizing. We're doing a wonderful work of mercy. Here are some ways we can step up our game and really start reaching hearts and drawing people to the love of Jesus Christ in a in a more personal, active way. Uh, so that's the book. That's that was the goal: is help people get started and communicate with each other as they're getting started. So you've gotten this book broken into three sections, um, the, mm-hmm. the, the fundamentals, how, the how-to, and mm-hmm. then the question of discipleship. So I wanted to yes. start there at the very beginning, the, the fundamentals, because 
a lot of times we have this this preconceived picture of of what evangelism is, and mm-hmm. and I love that you you start with the definition, which I think is kind of the the first and foremost. We need to know what it is we're talking about before we get into it. But then you go precisely where most people don't into prayer and fasting and integrity and in engaging people in conversation from the listening side of things, which we don't (laughs) often think of those things as being a part of evangelization. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that. What, what is it about these things of, of praying and, you know, typically praying and fasting seem like internal things and evangelism seems like an external thing. What's the correlation? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's a great question because um, right there in the introduction, what I say is if you get prayer and fasting down, uh, if you have the relationship with Jesus Christ, which is your number one, and that's in the very first, you know, very first is, you know, you have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ in the Catholic faith uh, because that's what you're sharing. And you can't give what you don't have. And we have many people who um, are very active and love being Catholic and want to share what they love about being Catholic, but they don't have that personal relationship. So that is the very biggest foundation, uh, you know, the the non-negotiable. And from there, prayer and fasting is how you deepen that relationship and how you activate that relationship. And everything else in the book, if we can have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if we pray, we fast, we act with integrity, um, and, and that doesn't mean you're a perfect person, but that you're honest about your faults, you continue to seek forgiveness and confession, uh, you know, become holier uh, as, as you're going through that effort, through cooperating with the grace of God, um, the rest you can figure out. Uh, the book can save you a lot of trouble, but plenty of people have evangelized through trial and error if they have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that deep connection in prayer, that relying on God in prayer, that sacrificial love that comes from fasting or offering up uh, whatever it is you have to offer up, your personal sufferings or uh, whatever that may be in your life, uh, that uh, reaching in, we talk about the um, communal nature of prayer and fasting in evangelization, because even if you're going out on your own, even if this is just you uh, talking to a coworker or you one-on-one, um, maybe a, you know, a priest counseling somebody one-on-one, whatever it is you're doing, the whole church is behind you and connected to you. And you want to activate that prayer of the church um, in a very specific way of asking other people to pray for your work and you pray for their work, fast for each other's work, um, you know, support each other as a team. um, Even if it's just a team of here are three people I know who love Jesus and we pray for each other. Um, But that is, uh, that's the foundation and you, you really can, uh, start there and seek the Lord and seek guidance from the Lord. And, you know, if you have that heart of love for other people, uh, you can, through trial and error, figure out the rest. And, and I've done a fair bit of error over time, having been that, that enthusiastic, you know, newly on fire, uh, newly reverted to the faith in my case. Um, and, and, you know, I, I tell some funny stories about that. But, um, 
but yeah, that's, that is the essential and, and the rest is just, okay. What do the details look like? And, um, and so we hope we get into the details, but, but that's what you need. Those basics. We're talking today with Jennifer Fitz about the new book, the how to book of evangelization available on OSV, OSV OSV.com. Um, so Jennifer, as you were talking, I, I thought of the passage uh, that St. Paul is talking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, if I, and then he goes through this list and litany of things that he could do, if I uh, speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, if I offer my body to be burned, if I do all of these noble things that bring praise from the society around me, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong and a clashing cymbal, and basically all of my efforts are are useless. Um, and so, first of all, we talk on the show often about the definition of love and separating that from the idea of affection or the idea of uh, just, you know, this overwhelming sentimentality and moving it into the really concrete of what St. Thomas Aquinas said, that love is to will the good of the other person. Uh, and so starting, yes. starting from that point um, of, of needing to love the other person, needing to love before mm-hmm. anything else takes, uh, takes place or anything else that takes place has meaning. Um, right. I want to look at this question of the internal nature of evangelization in, in a really practical way, because a lot of times we think of okay. uh, these questions of the the works of mercy or of apologetics, mm-hmm. and we neglect the interior life ourselves. Sure. Uh, and of course, you're mentioning this in this early section of the book. Uh, what mm-hmm. I would like to know is, do you have um, a, an example of of a time where you notice the difference between your efforts uh, backed by prayer and and previous efforts that did not have that interior founding to it? Uh, In my case, my story is, everybody's story is different. And in my case, um, my faith kind of happened in two phases. I was raised bad Catholic. Um, I was those people, parish staff, love to hate. We show up for first communion and then disappear again uh, by the, we, we went to Mass, uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, because every Palm Sunday we were going to start going to Mass every Sunday. And we went Palm Sunday, we went Easter, and then we might make it back for Christmas or might not. That was my Catholic childhood. Um, but we loved being Catholic, despite all that. And uh, in high school, my mom finally did get us going back and got the sacraments caught up. And I was excited about being Catholic um, and just loved it, just loved being Catholic. But that uh, it wasn't a, um, a profound and solid faith. And so very quickly, I actually won Catholic Student of the Year my senior year of high school, very quickly left uh, the church in college, uh, got to state university, and that was all undone. And it was many years of leaving the church and even as I was leaving on my way back in um led me to a moment uh where I had been seeking after God for about six months and had a very profound conversion experience and I talk tell a little bit of that in the book uh so I won't spend a lot of time on it but as a result um that that moment of conversion for me uh was so profound that 
in my case, um, that was when the switch flipped. And I went from, as, as I was finishing up high school, winning the awards, being a leader of my Catholic Youth Association, it was about the, the joy of being Catholic. I, I, I just loved it. I loved being Catholic. Um, but it, I didn't really know who Jesus was. I uh, didn't really understand that relationship with Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in a meaningful, um, I don't want to say not in a meaningful way, but I didn't quite get it. The conversion wasn't fully there. And, um, but as a result, because I experienced this conversion much later, um, I would say that even though I have evangelized very clumsily at times, uh, been a bit obnoxious and annoying <laughs> at times, uh, you know, you're, you're freshly converted and you're on fire for Jesus and you're driving people crazy because you won't shut up. Um, it, it has always been motivated by love, uh, uh, love for God and love for the other person that I want to, wow, I want you to be, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit too. Um, and have this intimacy with God because you're made for this and I love you and I want you to experience this. Um, so that hasn't been an issue, but for me, it was learning to shut up and listen and, and realize that in seeking the highest good of the other, um, you, you have to know who the other is and where they are and what they need and what will help them. And, and the only way to do that is to close your mouth and, uh, let them talk and ask questions to find out more. And that, uh, so that has been the process of maturing for me, starting with a very raw, immature kind of love and learning to, um, you know, make it more about discovering who this other person is that got made um, and where God is working in their life rather than me trying to quick fix them. Because early on, I was like, well, if only you would do this, if only you would do that, then surely, surely you would be converted. And, and that's not how it works. It's, uh, you know, conversion is a personal process between the individual and God. Mm-hmm. And we're assisting in that. We're very fortunate to be allowed to assist in that. But ultimately, it's God who is working in the life of this person. Yeah. To, for a crude analogy, I think we very often... Um, get caught in the sitcom syndrome that we need the conclusion Mm -hmm. of this thing to happen by the end of this conversation and all of the loose ends to be tied up and figured out and have solid resolution. And we can, we can address a different problem and a different person next week at the same time at the same Mm -hmm. channel. But this week's uh, episode has got to be tied up in a nice little bow. Uh, And so, and it's up to me uh, and my, and my Mm -hmm. prowess and skill in this conversation to make that happen. Uh, right. And of course, that is a, fu- a fundamentally flawed understanding of how in- interpersonal relationships work, not only between us and the person we're talking to, but between them and their creator as well. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Jennifer Fitz. She's got the brand new book. It's fantastic. The How-To Book of Evangelization, Everything You Need to Know But No One Ever Taught You. It's available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Let's have a conversation. There's much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we are talking again with Jennifer Fitz. We had her on the show, whoa, way back in the beginning when we were in the like the episode 40 or something, and we're up, up in the 300s now talking again. So glad to have you back on the show as we're talking about your new book, The How-To Book of Evangelization, Everything You Need to Know But No One Ever Taught You, available on our Sunday visitor, osv.com. Thanks for being here again. Glad to be here. Enjoying it. So we start with evangelization by going into the interior life, which is not the thing that we very often think of. For me, I grew up in a um, Protestant charismatic, but a mainline denomination that just happened to have my specific congregation had a charismatic flair to it. And so, you know, I had the the giant notebook. Uh, We went through this program called Evangelism Explosion. You have to say that with flair in order for it to sound right. Uh, and and in that, there's a series of questions that you ask people, starting with, if you were to die tonight uh, and you were to meet God, would you go to heaven or hell? Do you know? Uh, and and do you want to know? And you go through this whole list and, and, and it became almost this puzzle to solve. Like if you ask the right questions and you have the right answer lined up, uh, then at the end, going back to that sitcom syndrome, at the end of this thirty-minute episode, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have that con- conversion. You put a notch in your belt. Uh, you plug them in and say, "This is the church you need to go to." And then you move on and you do the next person. You knock on their door and you pull out the same thing. And so it made evangelization very much a. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to churn through. I'm going to ask the right questions and I'm going to figure out which subset of questions you need answered. Uh, and any listening that was done was only in order to be able to answer the next question. It was all about apologetics, but a very narrow view of apologetics even there. Uh, and so even as I became Catholic, um, a lot of people were asking, a lot of my family and friends thought I was nuts, and they were asking lots of questions, and that uh, those challenges drew me uh, and drove me into study which was good for my soul in that regard, but I wanted to turn it around and, and again, find that solution and that puzzle and fix them by having just the right answer. And apologetics was my entire view of what evangelization is. But for you, as I'm looking at part two, the how to evangelize, you have uh, six chapters before you get to apologetics. And, and yes. to me, that says, well, wait a second. I thought that apologetics was the deal. What gives Jennifer Fitz? Right. Well, you know, that's a great question. And your story follows an amazing parallel to mine. Because I can remember during those years in college, having someone, I was sitting outside on the patio eating dinner, and a girl I knew from school and her friends from the uh, local uh Bible-believing student organization came up and asked me those questions, beginning (laughs) with, if you were to die tonight. And I can remember that and some other instances where I felt like they don't hear me. My answer, I answer the question, but my question didn't follow their script and they didn't know what to do with me. And I thought, you're not seeing me. You're seeing this sort of this pagan robot, this robot (laughs) of paganism. And if I can just reprogram it, Yep. Get it to say the right answers and everything will be better. And and that's not what we want to do. Um, and interestingly, so after my conversion, uh, which happened thanks to many people who weren't treating me like that little, you know, 
mysterious pagan mystery puzzle problem. Uh, but, you know, looking, listening to me as a person and answering my questions as they came up or even just sometimes letting me uh, talk and share and they prayed for me. Um, I had a problem because I was born again Catholic and my husband was born again evangelical Protestant. And one of the very first things that happened is some people who loved us dearly came to me and said, you know, Jennifer, we, we love you and we think you have gotten sucked into the dominion of Satan. Uh, Jack Chick, all that stuff, right? So apologetics went into overdrive in my marriage. And I was sure that if I could just convince my husband, show him the right arguments, the right proof, that he would see the light and become Catholic. And in fact, revert, because he had been baptized Catholic as well. Um, well, that's not how it works. But apologetics does have its place. And so it gets a chapter there. And in, in my husband and I, in our long uh, working through this difference in our marriage, and he did eventually turn to the Catholic faith, um, the role apologetics served for him was to answer these worries. Well, is it the dominion of Satan? No, it's not. Uh, here's why. <laughs> Here is some evidence that we can use to refute these accusations or, you know, well, what about Mary? Well, here is a way to look at the questions you have about Mary. Um, what about the primacy of the Pope? Well, here are some questions. And for him, uh, something that was very important was having someone point out the real presence in the Eucharist uh, because he could go back to the sacred scriptures and he it wouldn't bring him all the way to Thomas Aquinas on the Eucharist, but he could see, oh yes, this is flesh and blood. Um, this is, you know, I, I looked at the Greek, it's flesh and blood. And, and that bit of Catholic apologetics was very helpful to him in saying, wait a minute, the Catholics are right about something. And he began to be able to say, okay, my theology lines up here, my theology lines up there. Well, that wasn't his conversion. That was his process of working through concerns and questions that he had that made it possible for him to open his heart uh, when the Lord called him in a more simple way. And so apologetics can fit in uh, if you're focused on listening, if you're focused on listening to the real question the person has. Sometimes it is an apologetics question, and they really just want to know why do Catholics believe what they do. Um, and, and if they truly want to know the answer, have the answer ready. That's extraordinarily helpful. Um, but thinking that someone um, is just, you know, if you can only put enough books in front of them, if you can only find the right argument, you can change their heart. Well, their heart is in God's hands. And, and it's that relationship with God that you're helping them work through, through apologetics. And something I talk about in that chapter is that sometimes the heart problems are not apologetics problems at all. And we'll get a question like, um, well, what about uh, uh, priests or bishops who enable the abusing of children? You know, when we, we have these scandalous cases and, and we might hear an apologetics question. Oh, well, you know, if you know, we have this office of authority and just because somebody is corrupt, blah, 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 blah. And we have, there, there are rational answers to this, but probably the question the person is answering, asking is not that question. They probably aren't looking to understand a, an organizational structure or even 
the you know apostolic authority, they are asking, how do I trust? How can I trust? That's a heart question. And so we have to pause and say, okay, knowing about the apostolic succession is important. And there's a biblical basis for that. There's a historical basis, you know, historical evidence for that. Um, but also I need to talk, I, I need to listen to you and, and find some hope for your heart because you're really struggling with trust, with betrayal. You may know somebody who was hurt by the church. You may have been hurt by the church yourself. And that healing has to happen. That's not an apologetics question. That is a uh, question of loving that person, of allowing God to heal them, and, and looking for ways that God can use you in helping that person experience some healing. Yeah. Does that, that make sense? Yeah. And there's a couple of things to that, Jennifer. One is that um, I think when we focus on apologetics— we tend to th- to rely on our own knowledge, on our own study. Even if we say, well, let me get back to you on that. Uh, it becomes about our prowess. Right. Uh, and and right. rather than about accompaniment. So I, my cousin is a Catholic right. priest in the Diocese of, of Shreveport, Louisiana. And um, he would, I would ask him these questions, like you're saying, and then uh, he'd give me a little answer. And then he'd just kind of move on as if, uh, as if, um, there was nothing to it and didn't come up with bringing up uh, another thing or, uh, or letting me even chase down a bunny trail. He just kind of drop one little thing and then be done with it. But, Mm -hmm. but I noticed later after I converted, I'll look back on everything and I noticed that he was planting questions and he was planting questions from the place of commonality and not from the place of difference. And that's what apologetics often does is look at the differences and, and, and show those things. He would start and say, I would play him a song about communion that I really appreciated. And he's like, wow, that's, that sounds practically like transubstantiation. And then he just kind of walk out of the room as if I just, of course would understand that. And I'm like, no, no, that this is, this is not a Catholic song. What are you talking about? And it kind of left me puzzled, um, chasing after him other than him chasing after me and trying to give me answers I wasn't looking for. Uh, and so this right. this question of accompanying and starting with commonalities mm-hmm. because you are engaging with a person and not with their argument is something that, that you talk about in the book, but that so often mm-hmm. gets missed. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that example is uh, beautiful, beautiful, almost just leaving a trail of crumbs for you to follow. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and... That's um, something we talk about in the listening chapter and in several chapters, actually, is the listening for where this person is and what will help them. What kind of questions do they really have and um, what kinds of actions, what kind of conversation um, will be of most help uh, where this person is. And we uh, lean into uh, Sherry Waddell has a model of the uh, stages of uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus from the moment of, you know, developing an initial basic trust, a willingness to even have anything at all to do with Catholics on through, you know, that, that spiritual path that people get uh, follow uh, to that point of conversion and then of being a full-fledged disciple. And, and so we talk about, well, if somebody, you know, if, if they're here at a moment of curiosity, we don't want to flood them with the kind of theology 
that someone who is a you know committed disciple who's just eating it up ready for and and so we want to develop an awareness of the spiritual journey and that doesn't mean we're um looking for the right right expression here um it, it doesn't mean we're orchestrating their conversion in any way and it doesn't mean that we are all-knowing geniuses who if we just have enough knowledge we can read souls um, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just using common sense and some listening, some awareness, some authentic friendship, uh, uh, making the decision that my friendship with this person doesn't depend on them, uh, making progress, doesn't depend on them being a good enough Catholic on my timeline. I love them no matter what, right. and I'm here for them however long, uh, they want me to be in their life. And I want to be in your life because I love you. Uh, that is, um, that, that's where we're going when we look at this question of where somebody is in their spiritual walk um, in seeking after God. And, and so apologetics has a place all the way through. Apologetics uh, really comes into its own for the person who is ready to be a disciple. I think that's where apologetics becomes the most powerful is uh, in, in reinforcing the faith of somebody who has had a conversion experience. And in my own case, um, my conversion was a very spiritual moment. Well, you have to bring along the rational intellectual side as yeah. well. And so for me, apologetics be, uh, entered my life after I had returned to the faith and had a powerful conversion. And now I was looking for, well, why do we believe what we believe? Why, why am I Catholic and not Protestant? Why, um, you know, what, what's going on? Is there evidence for this? And did I just have this strong feeling or is this real? And, and apologetics became very important then. And that's, uh, you know, getting into the discipleship section of the book. Which we'll is, run back to apologetics. Yeah, which is where, yeah. where I'm going now is to this discipleship part of the book. One of our first conversations that you and I had was about this question of being a community as a parish. Uh, you can find that in the archives. Yes. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Just click on Jennifer Fitz's name. It'll take you to that episode. But here's a, a question, because in the discipleship book, you've brought a person to conversion, and then there is this mentoring and this discipleship that goes on. You talk about one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one mentoring in the book. Um, one of mm -hmm. my questions is this. For a lot of people who um, they may be new to a parish, they may be new to an area, they maybe don't know the parish well, and they haven't had those relationships built in with a person who brought them into the faith. Where do you find the one-on-one? -on -one? Where do you find the person who will mentor you in the faith when you feel um, maybe unseen in the parish? And how do we as a parish fix that for all of those who feel unseen? You, you have to start with evangelization and discipleship because if you try to build community before you have everybody... Uh, on board with centering their life on Jesus Christ and on the worship of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, you just have kind of a coffee house, yeah. maybe a golf club. Uh, it's, it's, it's not going to be anything that's very successful. And it's certainly not going to be what the church was meant to be. So focusing on Jesus Christ, that prayer, fasting, seeking after the Lord, then you can say, oh, wait, we would like some community and, and the ideas will start going. Now, answering your question very specifically, what you asked me, uh, my experience is that you have to be brave 
and you you arrive and you look around and this is very hard for me to do because I am a shy person but you have to just introduce yourself to people and say hi my name's yeah. Jennifer and um I, you know I saw you I see you have kids about my kids age or I you know how long have you been here? I'm new here. Can you tell me about things? And um, you have to you have to really get out of your comfort zone and meet people. And then in terms of finding a discipleship relationship, I'll say two things. First of all, I, I describe it in detail in the book because most Catholics have never been in a discipleship relationship. So they really don't even know what that might be or what it might look like. The best thing that works for me is invite somebody to coffee. Invite them one time. Maybe they're interested, maybe they're not. And if they are, we get together, we talk. Maybe that was the one cup of coffee we're ever going to have together ever in our life. Or maybe we hit it off and we say, hey, you want to do this again? And a third or fourth time and you're talking about God and you're excited and you're sharing things. Um, you say, hey, wow, we have something. Would you like to make this a regular thing where we get together and just talk about our faith life and what's going on and pray together. Um, my husband had a relationship once where it was a friendship and the friend had expressed interest in the Bible. It came out, he wanted to read the Bible together. Yeah. And so they just met every week for a year and read through the whole Bible. Um, so it's, you know, what is the felt desire? Uh, you know, where are you uh, feeling called at this point in your relationship with God uh, to continue growing? And, you know, just just meet people. Um, it can be very informal. And of course, there may be circumstances where you have something, you know, a natural relationship as part of another ministry uh, where this is already built in. We're talking today with Jen Fitz. The book is the how-to book of evangelization. Everything you need to know, but no one ever taught you. You can get it right now on our Sunday Visitor. Go to osv.com, pick that up, and then go over to jenniferfitz.com and see her other work. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's great to be here. If you missed any part of my conversation with Jennifer, you want to share today's episode with others. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There's also an extra segment available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. While you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, click the link in the top right corner that says support the show Patreon and find more information about how you can get that extra segment. Well, that's the sound of our Verbum Library launching, and that means it's time to take a look at our reading from Scripture and from church history. Today's reading from Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, where we see that the mother of Jesus and his brothers came to him, but were unable to join him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they wish to see you. He said to them in reply, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and act on it. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. And very often it's used to, to say, oh, well, look, Jesus was disrespectful to his, uh, to his mother. Um, and so, you know, really, should we be giving Mary the attention that we give her as Catholics? So we're going to take a moment and look at this, both from an apologetic view and then also from an evangelization view. From the apologetic view, you'll notice that he does not discount his mother at all. Rather, he puts her in the proper perspective. She deserves honor not because she is my mother biologically, but because she hears the word of God and acts on it. Think about the first time we meet Mary in scripture. Let it be done to me according to your word, right? So he, she hears, here she hears the word of God 
and she acts on it. She makes a conscious choice and moves forward. So here he is acknowledging, yes, that's my mother, um, but I also have a relationship with those of you here in this large crowd who hear the word of God and act on it, that we, you and I, uh, have been grafted into the family of God, adopted into the family of God, uh, based on those who have heard the word of God and have acted on it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and then now we go forth and and we act on it, right? So uh, that's the apologetic side of it, that yes, Mary was still being honored in this verse. The other side of it, the evangelistic side of it, is that you and I, uh, we have to hear the word of God and act on it, And we also have to and are encouraged to, throughout Scripture, to speak the Word of God so that others can act on it. Um, And in in that, the end result of that is a familial relationship, right? Uh, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they wish to see you. Uh, My mother and brothers are those who hear the Word of God and act on it. Let that be a descriptor of you and I. Our reading from church history today comes from a homily by St. Bede the Venerable. Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. Jesus saw Matthew not merely in the usual sense, but more significantly with his merciful understanding of men. He saw the tax collector, and because he saw him through the eyes of mercy and chose him, he said to him, Follow me. This meant imitating the pattern of his life, not just walking after him. St. John tells us whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And he rose and he followed him. There is no reason for surprise that the tax collector abandoned earthly wealth as soon as the Lord commanded him. Nor should one be amazed that neglecting his wealth, he joined a band of men whose leader had, on Matthew's assessment, no riches at all. Our Lord summoned Matthew by speaking to him in words. By an invisible interior impulse flooding his mind with the light of grace, he instructed him to walk in his footsteps. In this way, Matthew could understand that Christ, who was summoning him away from his earthly possessions, had incorruptible treasures in heaven in his gift. As he sat at the table in his house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. This conversion of one tax collector gave many men, those from his own profession and other sinners, an example of repentance and pardon. Notice also the happy and true anticipation of his future status as apostle and teacher of the nations. No sooner was he converted Then Matthew drew after him a whole crowd of sinners along the same road to salvation. He took up his appointed duties while still taking his first steps in the faith. And from that hour, he fulfilled his obligation and thus grew in merit. To see a deeper understanding of the great celebration Matthew held at his house, we must realize that he not only gave a banquet for the Lord at his earthly residence— But far more pleasing was the banquet set in his own heart, which he provided through faith and love. Our Savior attests to this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
On hearing Christ's voice, we open the door to receive him, as it were, when we freely assent to his promptings, and when we give ourselves over to doing what must be done. Christ, since he dwells in the hearts of his chosen ones through the grace of his love, enters so that he might eat with us and we with him. He ever refreshes us by the light of his presence insofar as we progress in our devotion to and longing for the things of heaven. He himself is delighted by such a pleasing banquet. That reading comes from a homily by St. Bede the Venerable, and I want to point out to you here at the very end that our reading from Scripture just kind of dovetails into this as we see uh, with Matthew that he freely assents to his promptings and then gives himself over to what must be done. And we are invited to do the same thing, to hear the word of God, freely assent to his promptings, and acts on it, give ourselves over to doing what must be done. And in that, as we do that, we are brought into this familial relationship of of, of eating together, right? That Christ comes in and dwells in the hearts of his chosen ones through his grace and love and enters so that he might eat with us and we with him. To be in that, that familial place, that vulnerable uh, family relationship of eating together. And this is what we are called to do first. As Jennifer mentioned earlier in the show, that first we begin with that encounter and then the the evangelism naturally flows. First, we come into a, a place where we feel comfortable inviting Christ into our dining room, into our kitchen, as it were, our spiritual one. And then the natural impulse is to bring other people into that relationship. You'll notice that with Matthew, he first had the encounter, he first acted in obedience, and then came the natural response of, hey, come along, let's, uh, let's throw a party, let's get together, let's, I want to introduce you to someone. And, and it no longer becomes a task about solving that other person and that other person's problem, it becomes about invitation. Not about argument and proofs, but about relationship. So here's the homework for this week. Uh, the homework is ask in prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the places that he wants you to walk. What are the devotions that he wants you to grow in? What are the places that he wants you uh, to go that may not be what you had planned? And then hear the word of God and act on it. Whatever it is, hear the word of God and act on it. And you will find fulfillment for yourself and a fervor for evangelism as you walk through the path that the Holy Spirit sets for you. So that's your homework this week. Come over and tell me how you did on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher Robin Webster and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to outsidethewalls.com, click the Patreon link to join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.